Well, I have to, uh, there's so many things to talk about, but Romans 12 is on my mind, so I'll talk through that. It's always fun to talk to somebody about the gospel and who's more versed in, I guess you could, for lack of a better term, a reformed, you know, view of the gospel, where they focus so much on the death of Jesus rather than the life of Jesus. And I knew when I was going to speak yesterday, one of the fellows, it wasn't a direct family member, but someone that was here. And um, I knew that they were probably versed in the death and the meaning there. But the life of Jesus, you know, had no meaning as well as the ascension. And the gospel is not the death of Jesus. You don't get saved unto heaven through the death of Jesus. You get saved from sin and hell through the death of Jesus. And you get reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. But you don't get made new through the death of Jesus. And you don't get made fit for heaven through the, de through the death of Jesus. And um, as through the life of Jesus, you know, as Romans clearly teaches. And so it was funny talking to him and I was anticipating it. He goes, well, the Corinthians said, he said, I pretended to know nothing among you but Christ and crucified. I said, yeah, in the beginning, but later he said, I know no, no one according to the flesh. If, if we knew Christ according to the flesh, we know him in this way no longer. Now, you know, I recognize every... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, you know. And so I was like, you, you always start off with the death, but that's not where you end, you know. It's not the only thing he talked to the Corinthians about. He talked to them about a lot of things, right? So, um, and we, we went on for a good long time, and I just laid out the gospel for him. And, um, of course, one of the passages that we're taking it through was Romans 12 because of, helping him understand the, the dynamic of the flesh and the, and the, and the, and the, and the spirit and how, um, you know, anytime you're talking to someone like that, they always mix, they, they don't quite understand the spirit and the flesh separation. So uh, I went here and was talking about the fact that how can you present your body if you're not separate from your body completely and in full control of your faculty spiritually as an independent person from your body, you can't present a body separately. You can't beat a body and make it your slave, right? Unless you are separate from it, right? So the whole point, you know, as I was making to him, his brain was smoking and, you know, still talking to him about it because um, the whole point of our time here is, if you look at the bigger picture, you know, God rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness, right? We, covered that a few weeks ago, Res rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness. We were in that kingdom. He rescued us. He's the one who rescues. It's not his, you know, he's not the one for fault for the, the, the evil world. And he's not the one, uh, you know, tripping us up into sin. We were part of an evil system. God rescued us out. And from that point, um, he naturally kills our spirit, makes it new, but then he leaves our body in its former or in its previous condition, 
right? So it's in its present condition. And so it's, in a way, still an enemy form. Right? So he's enslaved it. He's enslaved the body. And the body, of course, doesn't like this enslavement. He's purchased it, so he owns it. And by owning it, now we're, we're bond servants. We are enslaved. Permanent. Bond servant means a permanent servant. That is to say, you, you don't get to leave and go home. You're not a day laborer slave. You're a permanent slave. You, you live in the house. And so, um, from that reality, he then leads us in this world to represent him and to prove that we are in fact his. And the way you prove that you're his is that spiritually, you're his child spiritually, is that you spiritually take your body and you present it against the grain of itself primarily and the world which it grooves with, right? So you're presenting it against that grain. Um, this proves your salvation, proves the life within you. And so Romans 12, 1, you know, points that simple reality out. And again, one of the important things to remember is the reason why your body feels like an independent person or the you is because your spirit has seeing parts, hearing parts, a smelling part, a speaking part. Your spirit has a heart. It has, um, uh, as we would, I don't know if you know this, but I think it's like, I don't, don't quote me on this 100%, but it could be, it might be accurate by saying this in numbers wise. But I think it's in the heart, there are 40,000 um, independent, um, independent um, memory cells that just relate to the heart alone. They're in the heart area. And um, I saw a whole scientific thing on this. I can't, I don't know the number, I know I'm accurate about the information but that just the heart is controlled by that alone, separate from the brain, which is pretty interesting. So your heart has its own thinking category, which in some way maybe that is part of the reason why we feel things in our heart, in our bowels, you know, when we're um, in some unique way. So God knows more about why he separates the mind and the heart, uh, but, um, but we do feel it in our bowels, we feel it in our heart, there's a something to that, and one day we'll understand it more. But the uh, the spirit has, therefore, you know, a heart. It has uh, all the faculties that a body needs. So, if the spirit talks, then the body needs a talking thing, it needs a mouth. If the spirit can hear, it needs ears. If the spirit can see, it needs the body. Then needs eyes. The spirit can smell, the body needs to know. So it's not that the, the spirit is shoved into the body. It's that the body was customized for the spirit. You have to understand. Our spirit has five fingers. You know, it has five toes. It, it is, our body therefore has the same. Our body is designed to facilitate the spirit. When Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, they had five fingers and five toes, two eyes, two ears, a mouth, and a nose. You, it's, it's a spirit that had no body, that hadn't been resurrected yet, but they had all the faculties that their body had. Why? Because the body isn't the point. The spirit is the point. So once you get that right, and you understand that when you pop out of this sucker, you're going to look the same 
It doesn't look the same because, oh, that's the way you're familiar. No, the body looks the way it does because the spirit looks the way it does. That's the reason why the body looks the way it does. So your body's there to facilitate the spirit. Now, salvation naturally has to kill the spirit that your mother and father birthed, rip it out, and do away with it. We don't know what he did, but he does away with it in some way or another. Crucifies it on the cross. He's, uh, he, you know, he, he, you, you die. You die with him. So then he makes you new with him. And his spiritual body is the foundation of our spirit inside of our body. As I say, it's the same DNA structure. And the future body that we're going to have is also the same DNA of the body of Christ. So our spirit and our body one day will mesh together in perfect harmony and there'll be no more conflict between the two, right? You understand? That's the reality of who we are. So we're purchased possessions physically. We're sons spiritually. And so after this whole discussion that he's laid out in Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, um, he goes to the presentation part. This is our spiritual service of worship. What are we left to do? Do some great thing in the world? No, it's simple. It uh, goes back to what I said in, in Hebrews last week. It says the mature person is the one who has his senses trained to discern good and evil. Right? When a, a, a mature child of God is someone, not someone who knows doctrine, that's easy. That's, that's for the child. The child is to learn the doctrine. Uh, the hard part is dialing in how to love your wife, how to love your husband, how to work, you know, work honorably, uh, present yourself honorably at work as a godly person, um, how to raise your kids in godliness, how to discern good and evil in everyday life. That's the mature person's goal, right? That's where a mature person lives. And so uh, Romans 12 kind of kicks off with that because we're done with the technical data of things. And now he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the compassions or the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, the reason why we can do that, obviously, is because we are alive in Christ and with Christ, and we are holy, right? He could have added a lot of words in there, couldn't he? He could have said, a righteous sacrifice, right? A pure sacrifice. Why? Because we are pure just as he is pure, as First John says. He could have said that righteous because in Ephesians and in other places, he says you're created in true holiness and in true righteousness. He just happens to simplify, as he so often does, with the terms here that he uses, living and holy. And holy is interesting because as Thessalonians says, to be holy, be separate from the world. Um, holiness is, is um, I think we're going to be surprised at how much more holy we should have been, I think, when we get to heaven. Like separate. Like, hmm? separate? Like... Yeah, separate. How much more separate we should have been you know, from the world than we are. I think we'll be surprised. I really do. Um, because we, when you're saved out of the kingdom of darkness, it's like we want to keep 90% and just change the, the philosophical belief, maybe keep most of the behaviors, most of the, the, the integration, you know, most of the things, uh, the, 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 
the, the ways in which we're trained to think about the things we're to value, the things that we're to invest our kids into, invest our lives into, the things that are important to, to the world, you know, the things that are sold to us, you know, as this is what's important. What is it, Caribou? Do you mean kind of like certain types of music and... Like Certainly music, you know. If you want to like get your kid into sports, like certain types of Well, it's not just getting kids into sports, it's the commitment levels mm -hmm. to it and the value that they put on it. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. The value. Uh, you, you see a lot of people talk about, a, you know, high-valued people nowadays, high-valued woman, high-valued man, and how they value what they speak of value and what they quantify as value um, is uh, it's just wealth or knowledge or success in some way or another. But that there's not a high-valued man in this world that wouldn't, if he really understood and knew what I have as a child of God, the wisdom I have and the family I have, he would give up what he has to have it. Because no, no matter how much success you have in the world, you can never find contentment, number one, without peace with God and a strong faith in, in, in Christ. And number two, the value of having love in the home, right? If you don't have love in your life and amongst your loved ones, you know, if you don't have a commitment, a, a loyalty, then... Um, life becomes a boring pursuit, a vain pursuit. Mm -hmm. It just becomes a, there's only two options. You either find that love and you're happy or you, you commit to perpetual vanity. That is to say, fun things. Mm -hmm. Go to this thing, go to that thing, go to this event, that event, ride this thing, drive that thing, whatever it is. You commit, huh? Distraction. Well, it, it's fun distraction. Mm -hmm. You have to commit to fun distraction. Some people who don't, can't afford fun distraction, they turn to drugs, mm -hmm. alcohol. They commit to something that will distract them. Hmm? So that Less, you know, by a fifth, you know, for not too much, or Colt 45 will light you up, you know. The cheap, the, the poor man's beer. <laughs> but yes, so... Anyway, just to say the word holy, it's important to evaluate in your life. And if, if you can't answer in what ways am I holy from the world, it's like that's kind of an important thing to be able to quantify to yourself before the Lord. In what ways am I separate from the world that are meaningful other than just my faith, right? Uh, Thessalonians is, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, right? Your separateness from the world. And he's talking in that context in terms of sexual immorality. Um, certainly, it expands out from that. Um, but not to be overly guilty or strange about this, but, but to think in terms of, I need to be able to quantify in what ways am I separate from the world? Um, in what ways do I choose to live a, a holy from the world that's important to me? Because um, we're called to present our bodies living and holy and so my body is is i'm forcing it to separate itself and i have in many ways except music from uh, worldly pursuits 
um, so forth and so on. But it's just important to be able to quantify that to yourself so you're content with that. Living because um, our spirits are alive, right? So you're presenting yourself hypocritically because your body isn't alive. It's a what? What does he call your body perpetually in the scriptures? What do you call it? He calls it a mortal body, right? A thanatos body, a dead body. In, in the, when he speaks of unbelievers, he calls them the necro, the necroses, right? The necro, um, uh, the necros, the necro, the necroi, because he speaks of the dead ones. He calls lost people, Jesus does, uh, basically walking zombies, the dead ones. He always calls them the necros, the necros, the necros, the necros, the necroi, the necroi, the necroi, you know, the, ne- the dead ones, the dead ones, the dead ones. Um, our body is still a dead one, right? My spirit isn't, but my body is. It's still a necros one, if you will, because it's going to die. And even at the resurrection, it will be changed in, through a death. You know, it will cease to exist and a new one will be replacing it. And so, I'm supposed to present my body as, as if it's alive to God, though it's not alive to God in, in itself. And I'm supposed to present it um, as if it's holy, though it is still very much a dying body and wants to be part of the world. These things will make you look hypocritical, which when somebody says that about you, you then have to testify to the what? Spirit inside, right? That's where you get a chance to share the gospel because you're sharing about who you are alive. The river of, of the, the wellspring of life coming up, bubbling up from within. The, the life within you is what's unique. The body is what you're presenting to prove that your spirit inside is in fact new. Right? That's it. That's what makes religion so funny and strange and ridiculous because in their presentation so often, I say so often because for the most often this is true historically and he just ran into something. Um, They're presenting the body expecting it to go from some form of bad to better through the presentation. Like they're actually affecting the quality and essence of their physical flesh in some way from going from a worse physical state to a better physical state which is, of course, a misnomer. And even worse than that, they'll often believe their spirit is going from a bad to better state as well. That's a common, a common belief. That's why you find this defeatist mentality, right? Because if, if your spirit is going from bad to better and you use a humanistic method to change and it doesn't work because it's not by faith, then you're going to fail. Then who are you going to ask to help you? Yes, God or the Holy Spirit. And if they don't come through, who's to blame? They are, right? In your mind. Yeah. Spirit, I prayed you, Spirit. The Spirit didn't do it. Didn't take it away. Yeah, didn't take it, just sin away, that desire away. The Spirit doesn't get our rewards, and the Spirit doesn't get our, our, uh, our honor in heaven. Our spirit gets that reward and our spirit gets that honor 
And so it's important to understand that my goal in life is to, is to represent the life within me on this earth. That's it. That is the, the, the spiritual life. Not the, the, the change of the flesh. Not the honor of the flesh, but the spiritual life within me. And that's what he's saying. Present your bodies as a living holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed. Now that's the difference, right? Religion is a conformity. And spirituality is a transformation. You can't be untransformed once you're transformed. You can, you can conform and then reconform and then reconform. But you can never be transformed and then untransform yourself because it wasn't an act of your power that did the transformation in the first place. It was God's power in a mechanism of reality that if you renew the mind and the truth that a, an act of transformation takes place. But it doesn't happen unless you believe it. That's why I said read to believe. If you don't read to believe, then transformation can't take place. Because you're not reading it under the right pretense, under the right motive. You have to read to believe the scriptures. Read it to believe it. You renew the mind so that you may approve or prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Right? You may prove it. You'll know what's good as opposed to bad. What's acceptable as opposed to what's unacceptable, well-pleasing, or perfect. A you-nailed-it moment, you know, as opposed to you-blew-it moment. <laughs> and so that would naturally flow into this next section because he then talks about gifts, then he talks about love. Gifts, and then he rolls into this because when you're talking about the will of God. What is the will of God? It's so subjective to my life. What is God's will for this or that and so forth and so on? It's like, well, I know it's to love and to represent and present my body and share the good news. But in everyday life, that, that, how does that work itself out every second of the day? Well, you're presenting your body according to your spiritual gifts, according to the truth, and then figuring out how love works out in the moment. And that's what this whole next section is about. Because it's very simple. I mean, basically from 12 on, it's present yourself spiritual and walk out in love. Right? Love this way, love that way. Love your enemy, chapter 13. Love your neighbor in the middle. And then love your weaker brother in chapter 14. And that's pretty much it. And by the way, chapter 15, and see you later. It was nice talking to you, so forth and so on. By the way, tell such and such I said hello. And, and going to Spain. Yeah, huh? And uh, going, going to Spain. Going to Spain. Vacation to Spain, baby. Yeah. Awesome. So, it's just a discussion on love. This whole next section. It says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, a measure of belief. He says, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportions of one's belief. Naturally, in other words, don't speak what you don't know. <laughs> Whatever you know, then you can talk about. Profane, speaking uh, to pro before speak before people. What? Um, we kind of explain what it means. God has a lot to each measure, a measure of faith. Yeah, each of us have been given us a, uh, a certain measure of faith, specifically designed for the calling in our life. So, if you're called as a minister, you're going to be given a, a certain allotment. This may be greater in some respects because you have a greater responsibility to shepherd the, the flock. Uh, if you, it just depends on what your calling is, where you fit in, right? That, uh, that measure is going to be granted to you based upon that calling. Do you think that's static or variable? Like if we pray for an increase in faith, is that... Totally, I think it's totally variable, 100%, because he says to pray, God will increase your faith. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and even says to pray for certain spiritual gifts in First Corinthians. Yeah, it's curious to me the context of the sentence. Maybe if I saw the diagram, it would be clear. But in the context of people not thinking more highly of themselves than they ought, and then the reason is because. Or as God is allowed to each a measure of faith. So how how is it like? What does that have to do with not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought? Well, I mean it's pretty evident. Everybody, it's pretty evident in that you can see it right in front of you when somebody starts teaching and they have been given the gift of teaching, but they've been acting like they have something to say that they. Are not that has not been allotted to them. You know, it's when you're stepping outside of the reality of your parameters of your true giftedness and asserting yourself in a situation that you don't belong. You know. Think so as to have sound judgment. So that's what we what I always call sound judgment is what self awareness. Yeah, Self-aware. If you can sing, sing. If you can't sing, don't sing, right? <laughs> if you can teach, teach. If you can't teach, don't teach. Uh, you know, if you can, you know, some people are, are, are um, like take your brother, Brad. You know, he's more of a proclaimer than a teacher, right? He could probably do a great job of proclaiming, but I don't know if he's the most skilled teacher per se, right? Um, if he started trying, it's when you see people who try to teach, rather than going, you know, I don't know, I have to go study that. But if you limit, they limit themselves down to just that, then they are, they do a good job. But it's when you think more highly of yourself, is, is, it's often a reaction, it's reactionary, rather than actionary, right? So if somebody asks you a question and you don't want to be seen as someone who doesn't have the answer because you're in a position, right? Somebody asks you a question and everybody is just looking at you like, you should know this, right? And then you give an answer or you just talk junk, you know, because you want to look like you have the answers because you don't want to look like you don't have the answers. 
Um, now you're stepping, you're not, you're not having sound judgment. And you're stepping outside of the reality of your calling, your giftedness at that moment. And, um, and you are thinking more highly of yourself. You're positioning yourself as someone who should speak. Because to think more highly of yourself is that I should speak to this, answer this question. Well, you know good and well that you don't have the answer. Right. You better check yourself before you wreck I think yourself. About like your measure of faith from the beginning was it's knowable. Like, that your yeah. belief was that it's knowable. So not thinking more highly of yourself than than you ought to think. You set out to know it. Yes. Rather than to say it's knowable. It doesn't stop there, you know. It's mm-hmm. knowable, so I have to go find it, and I have right. to work hard to find it. And that was, you know, the faith that you were applying. Your faith was both that it's knowable and that you didn't know. And that you didn't, yeah. Correct. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah that's it, what I. That, that's, <laughs> that's the sound. That's the sound judgment part, right? Right. Because yeah. if I ask a question I can't answer, then I got to go find the answer. If somebody asks me a question I can't answer, I got to go find the answer. But if I, I, I've seen this happen so many times where somebody knows something in some area and they're talking about it. And then somebody asks them a question about an area they don't know about. And you can tell they don't know it. They go well, into this panic. Here, yeah. Start sweating. You know? But then they start, well, you know, uh, there's many of you. All of a sudden now the word of God's abstract and, and confusing. Not, it's not confusing because it's confusing. It's confusing because they don't know what the heck they're talking about. And... Um, but they want to act like they have some knowledge on the subject. They're afraid to say. They're afraid to say, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll get back with you on that one. Sorry. I'm an I'm a, I'm a expert in, in this area, but not in this area. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's having that proper sound judgment or self-awareness or humility to answer something accordingly. Another thing, too, if you may be slightly and teaching is knowing and believing that it's knowable for other people too and mm-hmm. letting the good news be the good news. <laughs> so a lot of people are like, it's not enough, I gotta say it or present it or manipulate it in a way to like get somebody to believe like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more a part of this process than I actually am. I'm just believing the simplicity of the truth and getting that across and letting that be the, the foundation. Sometimes you start with the gospel and somebody's like, huh. And it's like, then people have the tendency to like, okay, let's abandon that and let's just go into deep whatever and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, that could be a far more and, and more actionary ways I would think of. If you look at the fruit of somebody's life, and maybe they have knowledge from the word and it's like information on paper, but when you hear them talk about it and you just kind of, you know the law enough to know their life, <laughs> you're like, they're talking through wisdom that they're not applying very well and it's like that's more of an unbecoming thing but that always sticks out kind of funny I always try to check myself on that too if I'm going to like share with somebody something I want it to be something that I'm successful in that not present it in a way that it is that maybe if I'm not it's like hey this is something I'm working through but present it that way it's like you present it as like yeah but you know there's areas of your life where I'm, I'm still kind of like I'm working through this a little bit I think some people just breathe over that and just yeah. At home, and it's like, <laughs> you know, words on a paper, but it's not. To me, that's like a, a thing when you're like, 
I don't know, it's always in the back of my mind. Because we had a conversation a long time ago where you, especially if you're in a position as one who is teaching or shepherding, that you have the, like, like you have that honorable position. If Christ has really put you there, be very careful with that position yeah. to not speak beyond that and stuff. And right. So always think of like, yeah, there's a, there's a caution in how you share and what you share. Yeah, and it's important to understand the difference between a measure of faith and the measure of Christ's yeah, growth. That was one thing I was saying. Right, because in Ephesians 4, we can all grow to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, right? That is to say, we can grow to the height of Christ's maturity on earth. However, unlike him, we're limited to a certain parameter of spiritual giftedness based upon the calling in our life. Not everybody's called to be a preacher, a teacher, one who, one who preaches, one who teaches, one who shepherds. Um, and so, each person has the, the giftedness that they have. And, and, uh, but within the context of their life, they can grow to the way Christ would think perfectly in their life. So, just because they may be restricted based upon their giftedness doesn't mean they won't be, they're restricted on the perfect application of faith in their life just as Christ would apply it if he were in their life. Right? It's not to do what Jesus would do. It's believe what Jesus believes and act that out perfectly. You know, right? So that's growing to the measure of Christ's uh, maturity as Ephesians 4 says it. This is saying, but within the parameters of the giftedness you've been given. Like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 that the apostles were given like an array of gifts. Kind of all of them, because they would be called to do many things throughout the ministry of Christ, and they would need all the gifts. They need the spectrum, and some that don't even exist, like miracles in many ways and stuff, like, or at least that aren't prevalent. Say, I don't know if they exist or not, but uh, they're certainly not prevalent um, in our day. But they were given an array of gifts, whereas a common person who goes to work and has a business or does what they do, they don't have an array of gifts. They have a few gifts and they, they have enough time in their life and they live out the life of Christ at work and at home and within the body of Christ, they use their gifts to serve or do all the things. One of the things that God encourage, pray, whatever, um, but they know that, hey, that's their gift and perfect that, uh, that that gift as opposed to uh, try to be useful in many different arenas. That's, uh, remember when I was joking around and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be good at one thing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. In a way, that's kind of the way the body is. A finger's only good at being a finger, right? And the eye's only good at being an eye. An apostle or somebody like myself has, can be an eye and an ear and a, and a mouth because that's just the way God's set us up to be. But a lot of people don't have that many gifts. Some people do, but some people don't. And um, therefore, you just figure out what giftedness you have and just do really good at that. And be contented with that. Like, do really good at whatever it is you do good at. You know? 
I mean, Matt just said, "Hey, I want to, I want to be useful and use my gift, uh, use my abilities to do the 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 the, um, the technological aspect of things." And in uh, he said, "Yeah, we'll get you the music earlier and so forth and so on. And let him do it. You know, uh, that's his that's his jam." And so that's being uh, serving and encouraging, and, and I'm sure everybody will grow as you grow. You learn what your giftedness is more and more. But um, and it'd be different in the home than it would be in the body. Obviously, in the home, dad has to be everything, right? You have to be a teacher, or counselor. Or you have to be one who serves to be everything, and a mom has to be everything too. But that doesn't mean that translates over into the body of Christ. Just because you have to do everything and with your children doesn't mean that's the way you're gonna, it's gonna somehow translate to adults. Um, it may, it may not. There's a difference between gifts and natural talents as well, just your human talents are one thing. The spiritual gifts, you always know it's a spiritual gift because it actually builds someone up in Christ as opposed to build someone up in you. A talent will often manifest itself if you're not thinking right about it. You'll say, this is the way I do it and therefore, you know, this is the pattern as opposed to, <coughs> This is your spiritual gift being used to build someone up so that they can create their own pattern. Um, it's the issue of the emphasis. Some, my, my ways might be helpful. They might not be helpful because you have a different wife, a different family, a different life, different choices, different hobbies, different preferences. So you don't know if your manners or the way you carry out your faith is going to actually fit someone else's life. But a lot of times natural talents will be puffed up to say, oh, this is the... That's how people write books on natural talents. Oh, the five ways to do this, the six ways to do that. Uh, and, and, oh, this is how I overcame this and I overcame that and I accomplished this and accomplished that. And so being humble and saying, what is my spiritual gift? What are my parameters? But I, that does not excuse me for instance, it doesn't, this is, yeah, let's back up and say, according to the first verse, you're presenting your body first what? Alive, right? So when somebody says, well, I'm just not like that. Your spirit's not alive, right? Well, you're just not alive? You're just not like that? Because every child of God is alive. Now, if you're saying your flesh isn't like that, exactly. So therefore, present it against its grain. Right? Don't give me some nonsense, bullcrap excuse that uh, I'm just not like such and such and such and such and such and such. Right? If you're, if you're a child of God, you are alive, walk it out. Period. Don't make some stupid excuse that, uh, well, I'm just different. Nonsense. And that's all it is. It's dumb. Because it's the opposite of the truth. Every child of God has the equal quality of the life of Jesus Christ as the very basis of their soul or spirit. They're the partner of the divine nature. So no one escapes equal quality of life. Everybody has the same quality of, of life in them, Right? That means that if somebody says, well, I'm just not that way. If they're, if they're saying about their spirit, they're either lying to themselves or they're dead. Right? They're either a liar or they're dead. So that's an important thing. So just so you know, when somebody says that, you can inform them. 
If they say that, well, their flesh is not that way, so precisely no one's flesh is. That's what it means to be a child of God, is to die to the world and present yourself as alive to God. Right? That's the point. That's the point. Because I hear that, that stuff, it drives me cuckoo. Is that like, like people who, who would kind of argue on the side of just not being very social? Not being, no. Oh, they just don't, you know, just don't value, uh, or they're just... You know, not into the spiritual speaking music out. and uh, oh. speaking out. And I just don't, I, you know, just, I just don't, you know, I just wait for people to say something before yeah. I share the gospel and blah, blah, blah. As opposed to this looking for the opportunity. It's forcing your body to be alive. Yeah. As opposed to, to present itself alive. As opposed to just, you know, sort of almost being, you have to say something because yeah. you've, you know, you're in the situation where, you know, you, you're obviously have to represent your faith as opposed to forcing it to be proactive mm-hmm. in some way or another. Whether it's, it's words or it's music or the things you watch, the things mm-hmm. you, you intake, the things that come out of you. Um, we should be forcing ourselves to present ourselves to be alive. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, this morning, Jesus likes motocross. <laughs> I forced myself to sit down and watch it. <laughs> it was important. It was very important. Very good. Very good. We all share, some of us share that burden. <laughs> so we haven't matured to the measure of Christ. <laughs> we fell in love with Mother Cross. <laughs> it was very spiritual, Mother Cross. Very spiritual. Yeah. Spirit. that it says that the resurrection happens through a change, right? So you, you see those uh, Beauty and Beast, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the magic, uh, the, 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 all the magic's going around, beast body's floating up in the air, and all of a sudden it just swirls around and the body changes from one thing to another thing. It, no longer any part of the essence of the one body is the other body. But it's the same person, right? So in, in the case of Jesus, one body is is exchanged for the other through a change. So it, it, in a way you could say it's incinerated and remade in the same moment, right? Okay. So then... For a second. Okay, so then tag off of that. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago about how when I was a kid, or I don't know, somebody... I heard somebody talk about how they didn't believe in cremation because mm-hmm. in order to get... Like you needed to have your sure. body in order to get your resurrected body. What are your thoughts on that? That's ridiculous yeah. because okay. the Word of God doesn't promote that. He yeah. says he's gonna. He says he's gonna call everybody out from the sea. That means all the sharks that ate those people and pooped them out. <laughs> their DNA is gonna be sucked out of the ocean and they're gonna be remade, yeah. right? So it's even worse than cremation is being eaten by a fish and pooped yeah. out. So, <laughs> what? You know, what? Yeah. <laughs> 
God, like they don't get a resurrected. Like no. the logic broke down, but it was just we were for whatever reason it came up a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess I I didn't ever think about the body changing. Like I just figured it was separate. Like he was gonna make a new body. No, he takes the body you have. That's why he says he cut the, the the graves. You know, he pulls us off the earth, right? Our body disappears. So he sucks us up, and while we're in the air, the change will happen. So there'll be a like a, an exchange where this body, like each cell, if you could take it from the just the molecular level, right, where each cell is swapped out for a different one, one create one a, a cell that's a partner of the divine nature. So each cell is swapped out for a partner of the divine nature cell, which means, you know, I look younger and more suave, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> yeah, all the all the fat drops away, and uh, so yeah, and and this body then is exchanged each cell at a time. If you, for lack of a better picture, that's the idea. Yeah, for well, for a body that is is a partner of the divine nature. Put it that way. Because he says it's a spiritual body and it's the, 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 the icon, right? The firstborn among many brethren is Christ. So it's his physical body. If you want to know what it looks like, it's that quality, not that image, but that quality. So he is the quality of his body is the exact quality of our bodies. Um, now the body itself isn't what makes us special in heaven naturally, but it, it's what makes us special in the new covenant because we're getting a body that's after the Messiah's body and in God's economy of things um, there's something about the physical body that gives you privileges probably that you don't have with your spirit maybe some feeling aspect of things some taste aspect of things some um, some senses something about the body that adds a layer of value to the spirit's experience, right? So that's why, you know, I I think even angels can't quite get the human thing, right? There's a different experience when it comes to the human form that is more sensitive, most likely, and, and, and maybe has a certain level of enjoyment that the spirit without the body doesn't have. And so... That'd be my guess because the body's for, it's not for nothing. It's for something. It's for something good, right? So it's so much, it's a step up in, in creative of value. So much so that the new earth is fit for the body, right? It's not a, it's not a heaven fit for the spirit. It's a, it's a heaven fit for the, the body, right? So it has fruit. It has stuff to eat. It has water. It has stuff fit for the body, which is cool. So God's surpassing riches of his grace that he wants to show us in eternity is, is a greater grace than he has in heaven now because it's a, it's a new heaven and new earth fit for the human body but made on God's divine nature so it's not killable, it doesn't die, it doesn't age, you know, it can't fall into sin, all that stuff. Like in the same way that Christ cannot you know, be affected by sin as Romans 6 says anymore. Therefore, we are dead to sin and alive to God. Our bodies are the same on the same premise, our future bodies. Yeah. yeah. So with his, how is it, like, 
how is it different in that he took his up and laid it? What 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 part did he lay on the altar? In he laid his physical body his on the altar. Body. The spirit. So does that mean his Yahweh wasn't changed as? An, it was changed on that altar. Changed. Okay. So and then Yahweh got he, he zipped that sucker open and got right. back in it. So, so when he was resurrected, was. <laughs> it was the resurrection. Or he just stepped into it, huh? <laughs> Squeeze in. He's like, ah, get back in there. Like, ah. Oh my gosh, it's wet. <laughs> it's cold, it's wet. Gross. So. Big, big, mm-hmm. nasty one. Also, interesting point on the creation. Am I on the interior I know. Oh, I, I told you that. Somebody's be walking along the resurrection gonna happen, just <laughs> <laughs> fall over. Kidney gone. You know, child of God's kidney. God's ripping that sucker out. We're taking that back right now. That'd be a that'd be a moment, wouldn't it? <laughs> Heart just ripped right out of the chest. Oh, oh my gosh. Brain or eyeball. That'd be so funny. It, that that's legit though, because he's gonna use yeah, your yeah. body parts yeah. and exchange your body parts. Oh so somebody has a kidney from a believer and it gets ripped out. It's gonna be an experience. <laughs> it, it could it could be bad in the end. Yeah, I've thought about that many times. How the humor, the, the it's horrible, but the humor in that moment. The irony of the moment, yeah. So, Alexa was asking me this week, do you think, because God you know, made the earth and rested on the seventh day, like, do you think we will have some kind of rest in our spiritual, heavenly, like, yes, and or bodily functions? Um, I don't know about I don't know about like rest. Like sleep is that what you're asking? Like sleep or will like, like now our bodies well it, it seems that our spirit so like, and we have does to sleep right? So there's a sense in which I don't well if you have a perfect body and you don't need elimination because you don't have decay yeah. your body can if God can make it to eliminate then he can make it to process everything perfectly so if there's no rot, no decay in the fruit, then technically you could just use everything perfectly to facilitate your body and you don't need to eliminate anything because there's no negative. So it's possible, you know, it's probable that there won't be a, a toilet in heaven. Somewhere. If, it, if there is, there's a pipe that goes straight to hell. <laughs> it probably just dumps right out down there. There you go. The difference is it probably oh smells gosh. like potpourri as opposed to like, you know. Well, it's just something to me. It's such an earthly, like it's just like such a hard question for the experience. Not like. Yes, I know. Yeah. In some ways enjoyable. Like sneezing. Yeah. It's true. I don't think we'll have elimination in heaven, physical elimination. But it's possible. I don't know how that would function or the, how that process would go down. Yeah, maybe, maybe you poop and butterflies come out and fly away. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 You pee lightning bugs and uh, you, uh, you sparkles, glitter. It's like trolls they just poop glitter. Well, I don't know about rest there. There's no sun. 
Yeah. Right? So there's no day and night. It seems to be always day. I suppose if you want to lay down and close your eyes, you can do that. I don't know if you'll end up falling asleep or not. But, uh, well, there's always light, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so I don't know. I think I think it'll be whatever it is is going to be awesome in that respect. Yeah. It did. What is it? slight reference, but it looks like digestive systems and all those kind of things maybe weren't really before that point. And right. Oh, if you yeah. go to the book of Adam and Eve, which... Yeah. He's like, what is that? That's what I that book is because you're listening through him, like, experience all these things for the first time, and he's freaking out about everything, because he's like, oh, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. It makes you think too, like the lions and all that, because yeah. their whole body Plastic had to change. Because before they were probably eating fruit and bark, yeah, and all that, because they wouldn't have been eating animals. Right. So well, all of them, shifted. all of them shifted. All their digestions shifted. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for going on that tangent, but it just it's something I've thought about but you know there's no answer to it really I think there's I just think logically about it you know well if you're a perfect body in a perfect environment with perfect stuff with no rotten decay most likely our body right now uses a large percentage of what you eat to facilitate its existence and give it health my guess is it, it's just as easy for God to make it use 100% of that existence to do the same perfect peach yeah so you won't have things that that uh, you are toxic. Yeah, yeah, you're not flushing any toxins out, yeah. basically. What about, what about like fruit? <laughs> okay. What about like fruit seeds and stuff? Do you think there'll be like seeds and fruit? I don't know. I'm sure there probably will be because there'll be trees in heaven. Yeah. Geo-research. Geo-research. Yeah. So. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I'm just cracking jokes. I'm just Snapping necks, cashing checks. So he says, if service and his serving, if he who teaches and his teaching, again, you're supplying proportion of your faith. This is a very similar statement to Peter, Second Peter 5 and following, where he says a very similar thing. He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads. Gives freely. Mm-hmm. Gives freely. As I say, doesn't give under compulsion or greediness or, or or guilt or anything like that. He who leads with diligence. Um, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And all those are technical realities. Um, if you break it down, service and serve. Yes. A good example would be. Andy, when you broke the, the badminton thing, you ordered another one immediately. That's love. Yep. <laughs> his service and his serving and teaching is so teaching. Yeah. Amen. 
he who leads in his diligence, the reason why I say diligence is because when you're leading, it, it, it can be exhausting as a, as a father knows, as a husband knows. Um, it, there's times when you don't want to be diligent, you know? There's times where you want, you don't, you just don't want to be, you want to have to lead your kids that, that moment. You're tired. You don't want to have to lead as a spiritual leader sometimes because you're just, you, you have your own life. There's a, there's, a, there's a discipline of diligence that goes along with that. Um, it says, um, yeah, what is it? In, in, in one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Because if you show compassion to someone, that means you have to show patience. And when you have to show patience, that means you're under long suffering. And when you're under long suffering, you tend to eventually get annoyed. <laughs> Why can't you just freaking figure it out? <laughs> Get over your crap. Right? Basically. And so eventually you're just annoyed. And so you annoy them. <laughs> yeah. And so eventually you just get annoyed. So you, he's like, maintain cheerfulness through the process if you can. If you can't, then take a vacation. <laughs> I'm presenting myself alive. <laughs> Like, what's that? that big smiles. Big smiles. I forget what that is off of. But. Big smiles. Big smiles. I think that was uh, Cinderella. Like, no. No, it's good. It's like the big questions out there. You're like trying to just do this differently. Yep. <laughs> and so, in his. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, we'll stop there, but. Um, anyway, I hope that was. Uh, good reminder to just remember why we're here it's um, it's not difficult if you believe the good news and believe who you are then this is just a simple logical discussion uh, but if, if you haven't quite swallowed the value of who you are then this will edify you and help push you along to <coughs> not value the things of the world or value the, the flesh's desire to integrate uh, in such a way that um, you lose the forward momentum of presenting the body as alive and separate from the world. And so, anyway. Did you kind of, like, when you started this off because you had a conversation with you yesterday. With who? You said you had a conversation with the gentleman yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that you know they don't have a hard time with the death or resurrection. Did you take him through? Oh yes. Like some of this, and what was the? I took him through the whole scripture, literally from the Old Testament to the New, over about an hour and a half. It was. I was bummed I didn't get that recorded. Um, everything we went through: Romans, Hebrews, Ephesians, Galatians, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. I, I was just pinned a million miles an hour, cranking. So what was his, like if you were going in Romans 12, I'm just trying to think, like what was, what was his thinking like when you were saying stuff? Was he like, oh, like, really cool? Or did he, was he... It's just their confusion on the flesh and the spirit, mm-hmm. not understanding it, mm-hmm. and therefore not understanding... Uh, when I said to him, when I said to him that, that the, 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 uh, the death of Christ doesn't get you into heaven, yeah. You know, their head just about freaks out. They think yeah. they're going to like smack me in my face. Yeah. But then I said, 
big, you know, he quoted something and I said, yeah, just like in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, if, if without the resurrection, we are of, of all men most, most miserable, most pathetic, most stupid. Yeah. Right? So he doesn't say, in, the, in, in chapter 1 he says, I pretended to know nothing about you but Christ and crucified. In chapter 15 he says, without the resurrection, it's all stupid. Yeah. Right? So you see his face just like, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, you know. Yeah, they, of course. They just don't believe the resurrection actually happened to you. So they don't recognize the significance of it. Like it happened, but it was just a bonus. It was just, yeah. death was the thing. So they're trying to better all the time. Their spirit and their flesh. And some will say only their spirit. Some will say their flesh and their spirit. Some, and some will separate the two. Some will actually say, well, not the spirit, but the soul and the flesh. I was gonna, I heard a lot that, like, They'll separate the soul and the spirit as two entities, like you're two different people, and then uh, say, well, the soul and the flesh are what needs to be made better. Yeah, I've heard that the spirit is made new, but then there's like no discussion on if that actually has any like practical. Right. It doesn't mean anything. The spirit's anything. new and pure and holy. The soul is being sanctified. Right. Like getting better and better and right. better, better. That would be. Uh, and the flesh is Calvinistic. You know, theology. So, uh, and so. that's 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 stupid, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's because you're not, you know, Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus weren't, weren't they weren't six body parts floating in air. Right? It wasn't a heart, a conscience, a, 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 you know, a, a soul, a spirit, and you know all this other stuff. Thessalonians says dividing. Well, that in Hebrews. Yeah, I pray. Yeah, that blah blah. blah yeah, yeah. What was that reference? A sword? Kind of? uh, Hebrews 4, divided between, between soul and spirit. Hebrews 4. But um, it, it's, it's uh, our body and spirit and soul and whatever. But the, that's, the bottom line is they're looking at the difference between the... Um, there is a difference between the soul and the spirit, but they're still part of the one body. The same way there's a difference between my brain and my heart. But they're still part of one anthropos. Right? We're a new anthropos, a new man. And that man has a soul, a spirit, a mind, a heart, a conscience. It has all those things, right? It has the bowels, because, you know, love God with all your bowels, as the Old Testament says. So, um, you know, when you're looking at all that, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the spirit has all the qualities of a human. Uh, so when it when he if he says soul yeah he's talking about the the anthropos the spiritual anthropos he says spirit he's talking about the spiritual anthropos says nose or mind he's talking about the spiritual anthropos right it says cardia heart he's speaking, talking about the spiritual anthropos the spiritual man right the the new man the kainon anthropos what is it there carabona oh I was just gonna ask if uh, when he says give liberality does that Connect to uh, thirteen eight. Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. No, it's that's not the point at all. Okay. That that connects to Second Corinthians eight and nine. Mm-hmm. You can read that. So, or Malachi. <laughs> the Italian prophet. It, 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 it connects all the way back to Moses uh, 
or to Abraham giving to Melchizedek, to Moses building the temple, that he didn't build the temple off of, off of the law being uh, demanding that they give a certain amount to build the temple. But when they built the temple and the priest stuff and the, and the tabernacle, or not the temple, but the tabernacle, when they built the tabernacle, they built it on the basis of free gifts from the people. That's why God gave them money from Egypt to, to carry out. They thought God's just giving us wealth. They didn't realize that God was going to then challenge them, challenge their faith and say, I gave you this wealth, but now I want all of you to build this tabernacle and here are the instruments and here's the stuff and here's the stuff and here's the stuff I want built. So I need this much gold and this much silver and this much you know, copper and this much this and this much that. So and this much linen and this much you know, whatever it was they, they needed. And so he collected it from them and then eventually told them to stop giving because they had enough. He wanted them to give it freely from their heart though so that the, the temple was built off of a free gift, right? Not off of a requirement of giving. Now there were requirements of gifts according to the law. That was to support the priesthood, there were taxes. But when it came to supporting the temple or the tabernacle, it was a free gift. And so that's the, the, the purest form of worship when it comes to giving is a free gift, not an obliga you know, obligatory gift or a mm -hmm. gift of obligation. So like a gunshot. So, yeah. But yes, I was all over the place with him. I took him through the gospel again. His brain was smoking and he didn't understand it, you know. I think he was out of the Church of Christ originally, I think. And then... Um, it's just a reformed concept, you know, reformed. So, value, reformed people value the death, always arguing the death, you know, justification by faith, all that stuff. And uh, almost like the resurrection, the ascension, to me, the gospel's three parts. It's not one part, it's the death saves you from hell, from judgment, and reconciles you from a technical blood standpoint. The resurrection, is the basis of your new life and makes you fit for heaven. But the ascension to the right hand of the Father qualifies you as sons on His throne. So that's important, those three. It shows you not just that what you're saved from, what you're saved unto, but then what you're saved for. Like you're saved unto heaven, but you're saved for sonship and honor and ruling and reigning with Him. So we're up on the throne, not before the throne. And... So those three, that's why I said the new covenant doesn't come in until after the ascension, after the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of the Father. That's why we are in the same position as a kingdom of what? Priests. Priests. Why? Jesus is what? A priest. He's the, he's the high priest, the perpetual priest. But we are functioning as his, you know, hands and feet and eyes and mouths here on earth as a kingdom of priests. So we are his brethren, and therefore we function in the same functionary thing. In the same way that Levi was the first, you know, uh, it was uh, Aaron from the tribe of Levi was the priest, right? And we're all of the tribe of Christ. And Christ is not from Levi, but he's from Judah. So he's a prophet, priest, and the king. We're both prophet, priests, and kings. We're, we're in the same 
We're in the same priesthood as he is in the new covenant. We're in it, whether you, you're born into it, being born anew. You're born as a, as a royal child. That's why he calls it a royal priesthood, which was illegal according to the old covenant. You couldn't be a king and a priest. Uh, in the new covenant, you are a royal. You're born a royal priest. Now you just have to learn to walk that out. Yeah, and buy chickens. <laughs> what? In First Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being, uh, you also as living stones are being built up right. as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Right. Yeah. Under the Lord, making spiritual sacrifices. Chosen race, royal priest, a holy nation, people of God's own possession, to present the excellence as Him, to call us out of darkness and His marvelous light. Same passage. <laughs> it's the next, it's on later. So, yeah, first Peter 2. Mm-hmm. So, that's, it's getting that down and going, okay, that's my faith. Because when you get saved, you just think, wow, I'm so thankful, I'm this child of God, I'm saved from hell. But then you go, oh, I actually have a job. I'm like, I'm a, I'm, I'm in a new, I'm in a new realm now. Like, I have, I'm a priest, and they have a duty, and it's yeah, it's restricted to a certain level of faith. But so were the Levites, right? Not all Levites functioned in the same manner, right? So, um, some did this, some did that, some were scribes, some were temple guards, some were were other things. Okay, he's like, I'll be the temple guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your beard. Shing, shing. Wolverine. What beard do you have in heaven? It's constantly shifting. It's like a slouch. What beard do you have in heaven? Slouch. Yeah. Well, let me pray and. Father, thank you so much for the, the privilege of now boldly bursting into your throne room as your children, of being a child of God in this body and in this world. Thank you so, so much for rescuing us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son, now making us your beloved sons. Help us to understand Increase our faith to understand the the richness of what you've done in our lives as your children. We've entered into the priesthood of Christ. Not separate, but his brothers working with him on the earth to accomplish something for you. I pray that you would give all of us a clarity in our heart on how to, uh, as so how we are to speak and act and that we could present ourselves in a way that would bring glory to you and honor to you and make sense in the context that we're in. That we would not throw our pearls before swine, but rather we would speak in a, in a timely fashion, proper fashion, that glorifies you and seeks to be at peace with all men as much as is possible with us. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith our love, strengthen it so as to walk forward 
with you. We pray that um, you would um, provide the clear wisdom and, and the facility to have a local outreach. As this next few weeks unfold, I pray that you would lead me and to find a place that is um, fitting to reach out to the people whom you would want us to reach out to, bring them in, teach them. And so we pray this so that Jesus will be glorified, be honored, be properly related to, and in doing that, I know you will be glorified and honored and they'll relate to you as, as their father. And so we thank you for your truth, for the simplicity and the clarity of it. And we pray that it would give us the strength and the basis for a transformed mind to walk in that newness of life that you've called us to. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.